Ladies, gentlemen, and others, welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the anti-capitalist films of the VHS era. My name is Leland, and I'll be your host alongside our senior poultry quality inspector, Luke. I'm Luke. And uh, this movie we're going to talk about tonight is one of the oddest uh, pseudo giallo films I've seen, and it's an odd combination of the the avant garde, the sensual, and the Italian. I mean, there's really no other word for it. Um, this is a very Italian movie. So if you would like to journey to Italy with us, you can watch this movie on YouTube or on two different versions uh, located on Amazon Prime, uh, one of which is in Italian and the other is in English. I watched the English version, which I think was missing some of the footage that was in Leland's Italian version. Let me, let me help you out with some details here. Death Laid an Egg, 1968, also known as Plucked in the U.S. and marketed as a curious way to love in other regions. Um, before we get started, I just want to toss in a content warning for animal abuse, no matter which version you're watching, although it gets uh, way more graphic depending on how Italian your version be. I, I actually recalled thinking several times throughout the movie, like, wow, mechanized farming was a lot less cruel then. Like, compared to today's animal abuse videos, this is like a fucking spa. Well, if you saw the uh, Italian version, you might not quite be thinking that, because there's a good five minutes where it turns into a Netflix documentary about the uh, horrors of animal food processing. Oh, God, yeah, they, they lived a very pleasant existence in mine, albeit cramped. But they got to listen to like Bossa Nova and have their photographs taken. Like it was a pleasant factory hmm. from my perspective. Yeah. So the majority of the film takes place in um, what was considered futuristic for the late 60s chicken farm. And there are lots of birds in cages and a graphic meat processing scene. So again, just the fair warning. Um, three versions of this film. The theatrical premiere, the Italian commercial release, and the international release. Uh, the theatrical version was, regrettably, never released to home video. 20 minutes were cut, and that edit was released as the Italian version, which is uh, what I watched and what this outline is mostly going to cover. Allegedly, the original film was even more strange than what the public got its grubby proletariat mitts on uh, with an entire character removed from the film. Um, Luke, just how outrageous do you think a character would need to be to get like completely effaced from the death laden egg cannon? I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't find this movie too like outrageous or anything. It seemed like a pretty like standard giallo just with some really strange elements thrown in and um well i'll get into the differences when we get into the story but 
there are some things that sets it apart from the standard giallo but i thought the characters were pretty um like i don't know standard i keep seeing this film build as a giallo but is it actually so there are elements of this film that are really standard giallo so for example the person we think is a killer in the beginning of the movie is wearing black leather gloves. That's standard giallo. Um, it's filmed like a giallo, like the cinematography and all of that. The plot sort of evolves like a giallo, where the motivations of the characters and their interactions don't really make a lot of sense, uh, but we don't really care. Um, what sets it apart from a giallo is we see the uh, quote unquote killer's face in the first scene, which is really like a, a rule breaker. And we there, there's not really a mystery to be solved, which is kind of the heart of a giallo. So at the end, of, that's why I called it a pseudo giallo, because at the end of the day, I, I think it has enough elements to be thrown in the category yeah maybe i haven't seen enough of them but this didn't really strike me as a giallo at all i i think the best case scenario here is perhaps the film mildly starts as one but then there's a bait and switch into i don't know surreal social commentary mm, all right we'll get there Anyway, so yeah, I would without, I would classify it as a giallo. So without spoiling too much or um, preemptively revealing your review, how long ago did you previously see this film and did your general impressions change at all? So I probably saw it for the first time like 10 years ago and I really don't remember much at all. Then I watched it again yesterday and... I don't know. I don't remember well enough seeing it before to say whether my impressions have changed. Um, I think I could have easily gotten bored the first time I watched it and maybe like distracted and not followed the plot like I did this time. So I guess I was a little more engaged with it this time. All right. So you were socially pressured into watching and in actually engaging with this film. Yeah, probably. I probably would have I probably would have uh, focused on it less if I uh, was not doing the podcast, mm -hmm. which tends to be how I watch Giallo's like because I don't think the plots matter much. I tend to zone out like listening to dialogue and all of that and just focus on sort of the lurid imagery and any character oddities. So I, I I had to shift my my Italian film um, practices for this one. This film is definitely not what you would call standard fare, especially for the genre. Um, the pacing does get a bit hectic at points, but like I never would have guessed twenty minutes were just cut from from this film just casually watching it. I still feel like it's still well put together. Uh, I could barely follow it. Hmm. Well. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how much of this is like the editing or things being cut out or just the obscured motives of the characters. 
But all during this movie, I just kept thinking, like, I don't know why any of these people are doing any of the things they're doing. And that made the plot harder to follow. Well, maybe one day we'll get to see the theatrical release because the Italian National Film Library is actually holding on to the original print. But I don't know if I guess nobody knows if that'll ever see the light of day again. Um, I've read a theory that the first commercial edit, sometimes known as the director's cut, which um, is the Italian version, uh, was likely created to keep the film more politically and commercially sanitized for general viewing audiences. Like um, perhaps the anti-capitalist messaging was a little more intense in, in the original cut. Um, but the Italian release is available on YouTube for free. Uh, you can find it in subtitled. Um, and Amazon has at least has well has two versions. At least one of them is English dub uh, for rent, but it is the international version, which has some missing scenes. Yeah, no, I watched the English dub because, all right, so in any other genre of movie with any other country, I loathe dubbing. Like, can't stand it. Uh, I want subtitles, or I really don't want to watch the movie. Um, sometimes, like, cheap Spanish films, I'll, I'll give it a pass, but uh, they're so similar to Italian films, I don't know. But with Italian films... I prefer dubbing for a couple of reasons. First, all these films are dubbed anyway, right? Like the Italians did not record audio on set. They added all of it in post-production. And they did that often because lots of the actors spoke different languages. And so there was no way for them to communicate on set. So I imagine both the Italian and the English dubs were added in Italy in post-production. Um, but also, I think, and this might just be because I'm so used to it, like when I started watching Italian films, like in the 90s, it, you couldn't get a subtitled version, right? You're uh, relying on like cheap VHS bootlegs or, um, you know, the early VHS releases. And... So I just got used to watching Italian dubs, but I think it adds to the surrealism of them, especially with directors like Lucio Fulci, where the imagery and plots are so surreal anyway. Um, the the dubbing gives it like almost like a dreamlike quality to me. I really like it, but I think maybe I just trained myself to like it. So anyway, that's why I, I zeroed in on the, the dubbed version um, and didn't pay too much attention to the runtimes. Although the one I watched had the same runtime as IMDb lists. I guess they have the, the international runtime in there. Yeah, I don't even think they have the alternative versions on IMDb, but yeah, I, I might have missed it. But yeah, you're probably right. So anyway, anything else you want to talk about before we play the trailer? Oh, so I don't, sp I don't speak Italian. Do you speak Italian? No. No. So there are um, a couple of translation differences because I watched both for the dubbing and the sub. And there's one instance that I'm going to bring up, but it was mostly the same. Uh, but I'm not sure if it was just like a quirk of whoever was translating it 
or if the dub has a different meaning. I, I have only seen two Italian films in Italian. This one and the original Django. And I really like the original Django. I really like Django too, but I've only seen the English dub because I have the VHS release. So the original Django has a climax at the end between our uh, our titular anti-hero and the uh, general antagonist fight gun slinging in a graveyard. And the entire time, the bad guy is dropping Bible verses and speaking scripture as he's popping shots off at Django. Like two years later, I visit somebody who's watching a streamed version on Netflix, forced English dub, and all of that stuff was removed. Instead, it was all just very generic. Haha, I'm a bad guy. Look out. Dubbed over uh, the the villain's dialogue. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Why would you take that out? Yeah, I don't remember the scene well enough to say which my version had. But I watched the like I have the the Magnum big box release from like, you know, mid 80s. Um, that's the only one I've seen. Yeah. So anyway, I, I really wanted to to watch the the dubbed version of this movie to make sure a similar situation didn't happen. And and thankfully, I can say it's similar enough. You'll be fine if you end up wanting to watch the the dubbed one instead. So. So before we get to the trailer, I do want to talk about some of the people involved in this movie. The director, and I might pronounce his name wrong. I think it's pronounced Giulio Questi. That's what I would guess. Giulio Questi. I have never seen any of his other films. Have you? No, but after this, I am definitely interested in probably watching uh, Django Kill. If you live, shoot. I have seen, and this is interesting. So the co-writer of this movie is Franco Arcarli. And um, he's also the editor of the movie. And he has made some uh, real masterpieces. He wrote Once Upon a Time in America. He wrote Last Tango in Paris, which are like masterpieces, right? He directed um, or wrote rather uh, Arcana, which is kind of a, um, it's schlocky, right? Arcana was also directed by Giulio Questi. Okay. All right. So I have seen one. But I don't remember it being especially memorable. Uh, but anyway, so I'm more familiar with him than I am with the director. He's really only known for the three films we just mentioned, right? Django Kill, this one, and Arcana. Um, he started his career with documentaries, got into avant-garde cinema through writing screenplays, and he just started picking up directing roles from there. The the person I am most familiar with here is Bruno Moderna, who did the music. Yes, and we are going to thoroughly talk about the music because it is one of the main reasons anyone should ever see this film. He's um, I have I have quite a few of his records. He's um, he's kind of an avant garde contemporary slash postmodern composer 
yeah, so I, I recognized his work almost right away. I don't know who does the like Bossa Nova music on the soundtrack. I don't think it's him. Like most of the stuff we cover here on VSN, um, the, the studio's marketing department was likely shitting eggs trying to figure out how to promote uh, Questy's unconventional work. Uh, we unfortunately don't have a box review for y'all, but the trailer leans very heavy into this being um, like a man's descent into homicidal madness. And it's uh, a little over three minutes long, uh, dubbed by a completely different guy than the regular English voiceover and features mostly original dialogue and even some shots that aren't in the film. Don't look. 
Death follows me wherever I go. I want to get out of this stupid box. To get out of the empty room. And away from the nightmares. The fears. The desires. Of this absurd and horrible reality. That's also a great demo of the soundtrack that you should expect from this film. Was any of that voiceover narration in the version you watched? No, not any of it. Okay. All right. I didn't recognize any of it either. So Yeah, no. This film is marketed as some sort of like existential American psycho. And it's it's definitely not that. I don't know. I was going to say that if I had had that voiceover narration in the film, I think I would have understood the story a lot more. It's possible that was part of the 20 minutes that's missing. Yeah, maybe. The movie opens with the credits laid uh, laid over what appears to be footage of a developing chicken embryo under a microscope, uh, perhaps in different stages or shots of multiple subjects mixed together. A black light illuminates veins flowing with translucent fluid, and gentle currents shift clouds of cells around developing organs that pulsate rhythmically. And accenting all of of this is the music that you were just exposed to for the last four minutes. Um, How would you describe this? Like every single cat walking across a piano? Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to say because I listen to this kind of music um, all the time. I would just call this improvised contemporary piano-led music. But yeah, like, if it tells you anything, I'm not allowed to play this kind of music when my wife is home. No, and I found it interesting that just as, like, the music hits the first, like, aesthetically offensive threshold, that's when music by Bruno Moderna pops up in the credits. See, (laughs) I don't... I don't find this um, unpleasant or discordant at all. Uh, It's very relaxing to me. But it might be because I'm used to listening to it. Mm, I think most people would not agree with that assessment. Although I do think that it perfectly matches the... It's the perfect background music for Marco's crazy, like, psychic struggle that he has in this film. Like, it it really matches his... uh, decision-making that we follow as the plot develops. Anyway, yeah, I liked it. Um, I, uh, you know, I I regularly listen to free jazz, uh, classical contemporary, avant-garde, um, music concrete, like noise music. So this is right up my alley. I was vibing on it. You know, if if for no other reason, you can definitely get one of this guy's LPs to, like, torment your neighbors who won't turn their music down. Or, uh, I don't know, you could bump this shit up to 11 to scare raccoons out of your attic. 
No, I like it. This is nap music. (laughs) The credits fade into our first scene, a busy hotel located on the side of a major highway. There is a lot to take in here, but our protagonist, Marco, is sharing a room with a prostitute. They are spied upon by a man who will be introduced a little later in our story. The interaction is repeatedly interrupted with brief glimpses into the lives of other hotel guests, such as a man recovering from a hangover using the bluest eye drops, a woman packing a suitcase, a man using a vanity mirror to apply makeup, and the most jarring, a middle-aged man covers his head with a plastic bag, presumably preparing for suicide. He begins to unreal an entire roll of toilet paper while facing the camera, and then we never see him again. Marco banters with the prostitute as he begins removing torture instruments from a plain, unsuspecting briefcase, apparently unbeknownst to her. Our spy struggles to eavesdrop from a vent in his neighboring room, going so far as to trample his freshly made bed with his business loafers, and instead opts to sneak out onto the shared balcony to sneak a direct peek. The prostitute's lustful exclamations are cut short as Marco raises a brutal-looking knife, really, that looks tailor-made for stabbing defenseless sex workers, and he slowly kills her with precise, exaggerated strokes, like an artist brushing a canvas. This is the scene where he is wearing the distinctive signature black gloves that Giallo murderers are known for. Yeah, this this scene is is straight Giallo, except for the fact that they show his face, which really caught me off guard. Satisfied with what he witnessed, our peeping Tom promptly heads to a phone booth in the lobby, alerting no one as to what transpired. So off the bat, we have a lot of questions here, but um, we can tell you right now that almost all of them are answered. Uh, this script is pretty complete from a narrative standpoint. I mean, even if you don't really have... Uh, uh, a one-for-one one definite answer for everyone's motives. Unlike other giallos full of red herrings and unresolved plot points, this one's pretty complete. But then again, it's not really much of a giallo. It's kind of its own mutant. It, it took me 45 minutes to figure out what was going on. <laughs> um, one, one big mystery here is why the director opens the story, like showing the lives of all these like inconsequential hotel guests. Like, yeah, this guy's killing hookers, but he's, he's just a guest like everyone else here. Like any, any ideas? Is that something that shows up in other giallos? You know, the only movie, first of all, I think that they do it to show exactly what you just said, that what he's doing is not that odd given everything else that happens in this hotel because there's a scene at the end where the police show up and everyone in the hotel is basically like yeah this guy's weird but like it's normal for us um but it kind of reminds me of bay of blood the mario bava film where and that movie is even it's more difficult in that movie to follow the plot than it is this one um but there's just a there's not one killer in that movie. There's not one storyline or one character. You're basically bouncing between a bunch of random people, um, all of whom happen to live or be in the same area. 
And uh, so, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. There is a transitional scene on the highway where the schizophrenic music returns as we, the viewers, are accosted by jump cuts and sweeping shots of billboards about driving and vehicle ownership. There seems to be the message that the advertising is, is so aggressively imposing that it overloads the senses. Um, and, and this is possibly our first capitalism critique of many to come. Uh, there are... There are strange things in this film that I can only describe as fever dreams manifesting as cursed music videos. And um, we, we aren't going to draw attention to all of them, but it's a bizarre feature of this film that really makes it stand out. I don't think it's that bizarre. Re I mean, you also fall apparently fall asleep to this. It it it's very similar um, for me to like the same sort of imagery that Argento was using and um, uh, Lamberto Bava was using at points. Like it it's it's got its own distinct flavor, but I was I, I wasn't that struck by it. I didn't think it was that bizarre. Try to empathize and and put yourself in the shoes of a human being from planet earth most people are not going to fall asleep to stuff like this and and most people are not used to well maybe nowadays but back then especially in the 60s not used to jump cut editing like this mm, i don't think it wasn't as alien in italy as it would have been in america but i could be wrong margot arrives at his office which we get a Good look at while he signs orders for newly ordered machinery, their exact purpose to be revealed shortly. This office um, has desk lamps shaped like eggs, pen and paper styled murals of chicken skeletal systems, eggshell colored drapes. Luke, you're a huge fan of this era's style, but have you ever considered decorating a room as chick chic? I don't know. We actually have a, a giant like mid-century chicken hanging on our wall. <laughs> that, um, so we might be closer than you think. Um, but I actually thought all this was really funny. I thought the um, all of the I, I thought it was funny because of it. It's just aesthetic. And I thought it was ironic because like they're decorated with anthropomorphized chickens like doing human things and yet these people are dedicated to killing and eating chickens so i thought it was funny i should point out that this goes beyond simply just having an a an egg that looks like a lamp it's more like a lamp that suggests it's an egg and it comes off as surprisingly tasteful uh, some of these furniture pieces. It's not like going to grandma's house and they just have a room full of frogs and it's the frog room. It, it really feels like a lot of the backgrounds in this film were specifically curated with uh, just very specifically themed furniture, but not gaudy. It's very mid-century modern design. Um not quite as minimal as you see sometimes, but lots of uh, lots of 
colors, um, low set furniture, oddly shaped um, illuminating instruments, uh, very stark contrasts in the paintings, lots of geometric shapes. This is how uh, my wife and I try to decorate our house to some degree. It is made apparent that Marco and his wife Anna own an industrial chicken farm. We are treated to another music montage, this time featuring a piece of bossa nova music that is pretty sick. Um, we're going to give you an excerpt in a second, but usually when this song pops up, it's when there's a lot of chickens around. So I always kind of thought about this as like the song of the people, the song of the chickens. I I was under the impression that this was part of the automated factory and it was played for the chickens like all day. <laughs> um cuz at one point cuz at one point it shows all of the like mechanized stuff turning on and the song starts. So I thought that it was literally in the world of the movie playing all day for the chickens. I didn't consider that, but I suppose it's a possibility. Um you know, I don't I haven't really looked into how slaughterhouses work, but uh you know, I they do play music at orchards sometimes, or definitely greenhouses because it's been um it's apparently been proven that uh plants grow just a little bit more when they have something nice to listen to. Uh, anyway, I, I probably would too. So Yeah, if you were a chicken, do you think you'd lay more eggs if you listen to this? Like I said, the, to me, this is like the equivalent of a slaughterhouse spa. Like, it's not pleasant because you know why they're there. But if I had to live in a slaughterhouse, this is better than most. At least I get to hear like sexy, wordless vocals in the music. <laughs> So I don't know if it's just me, but I find I find the wordless vocals like that, like that vocal scatting, really sexy. Yeah, I was gonna ask you if that was like a an Italian equivalent of scat. I mean, it wasn't just Italy. Like lots of there were American um, jazz and contemporary musicians that use vocals like that all the time. Actually, one of my favorite artists along those lines is. Uh, well, Soviet from the time. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I I think this is great. It's not atypical of some of the like Italian library music of the period, and I think that's probably like I I don't think this was made for the movie. I think it was probably lifted from a, a library record. So I have I haven't done the research on this at all, but I would imagine there's probably still phonetic differences between different cultures. Scat. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure. I mean, idea, a lot of it, you know, the idea is you're not making words. So depending on the language, you have to use different noises to not make words. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think, too, like, I'm not uh, I'm not this musically talented, but I, I think that, you know, part of the idea is to match your sounds to the music, not necessarily to, like, words. Anyhow, I thought this scene where this music is playing... Uh, it was it was funny, but it was really strange. Like 
these people are like taking fun romantic photos in the chicken factory and like yeah. w- one of them is holding up a plucked chicken like for the photo it it's just it's nobody does this yeah so anna's young cousin gabrielle um, gabby for short is is taking flash photography with the camera that would now cost a ridiculous amount of money in an antique store we see the fam frolicking for uh what looks like promo shots inside a large chicken coop full of hundreds uh realistically at least a thousand chickens uh the, the family dog one of those small pitiful lumps that you often see carried around by celebrities uh, chases future chicken breasts around the common area uh, parting the birds like moses in the red sea the wife gleefully throws the lever to a violent grinding machine in a recessed pit that processes feed for the birds you heard that on the recording and while posing with you know one of these plucked dead chickens she's almost hit by a wrench that falls from the rafters of the feeding chutes she immediately suspects disgruntled workers for planting the tool as an improvised trap the implication is that the newly ordered state-of-the-art automated machinery has replaced the workforce to reduce costs and increase production the staff were let go without warning despite the owners knowing the layoff was imminent. It is later revealed that the Italian poultry industry, and by extension this factory, has been undergoing financial hardship for months, and this may have contributed to the decision to further modernize the factory at the cost of dumping the workforce. Anna blames Marco for not telling the workers sooner, which may have prevented such a harsh reaction, but would have still been pretty shitty nonetheless. With family fun photo time over, uh, we do get a good shot of the workers, uh, common men in drab clothes, standing outside at the fence line, ominously gazing toward the factory. But words cannot really describe just how nonchalant these family, this family be about just holding up and manipulating the chickens for photography. Yeah, it, did, it just struck me as comical. Yeah, I I think this is supposed to be, um, well, let's put it like this. It's very easy to take this film at face value and, and thoroughly enjoy it. But there is a theme, a, um, a, a deep jab at capitalism, like pervades this whole film. And it's very interesting to me because it doesn't come off as super preachy. Like it's obviously there, um, but it's not rubbed in your face. It- and there are parallels between you know discarded working class you know workers and all of these chickens it did not really strike me as an attack on capitalism so much as like an attack on the capitalists like the the wealthy people who owned the means of production like the it seems to be a social satire or critique of those people to me more than it does like an indictment of capitalism. But it could have been more blatant before it was trimmed down. I don't know. I mean, is there really that much of a difference between a 
attacking the system and attacking the people responsible for the system? I mean, I guess not. It's just, I guess we're the imp. Like to me, this a scene like this with the the disgruntled workers very much seems to be about the system as a whole. But that's not most of this movie. Most of this movie is almost like a satirical melodrama between these three people. Um, and it makes their interests and their quirks look like petty and ridiculous. And so to me, it was a sort of a satire of their lifestyle, which is why I don't think it comes across as preachy because that's its focus. Yeah, it, it's this movie is definitely about how their lives, how they are consumed by their lifestyles, their very flawed decision making. Yet, despite uh, living their lives in this way, they have somehow managed to hold a position of uh, power, wealth, and influence. There's definitely a message in there. So, uh, I've, I've used the word protagonist a couple times, but this is one of those films where you kind of struggle to find likable characters. So um, let's let's go ahead and discuss these three characters just a little bit. Uh, and I want to start with Anna, Marco's wife. She's a, a rich chicken baroness who laments having to disregard her stereotypically like feminine ideals in order to like adopt the persona of a, of a big bad boss lady. But um, it's important to note that, that she wears the pants in this relationship since Marco was a financially poor suitor before they got married. And none of this excess capital is in, him, in, is in his name at all. Although he later claims he married for love, there is this implication that the money and lifestyle had some influence in the decision. How do you feel about her character? I... I almost felt like her character was just written to be whatever it needed to be in any given scene. I didn't feel like she had a like consistent persona. And it could be that she's being like artificial with everybody and, and that's why she seems that way. But like I there's a scene where she's talking with Gabby and it's basically the scene where she's she's asserting um her dominance and says that like they're gonna get back at marco and that was the first scene where i was like wow like she really turned assertive and like you know is driven by revenge and i hadn't got any hint of that earlier so anyway she, she just seemed like uh she didn't seem like a real person to me so there is a scene that's uh again missing from your version where Anna and Gabby actually discuss that Marco is hiding a secret and she really wants to know what it is, but she is still very quick to get offensive about it as like she is ready to be extremely hostile over whatever the secret be, no, whenever it's revealed. And then we got Marco here. Um, he didn't start bougie, but here he be at the top uh, of all the characters of the film he comes off as the least assholish to commoners but um you know he's just he's not easy to like though because he's not very faithful to his wife and he kind of murders prostitutes 
Yeah, I, I hated all the characters. <laughs> and and then we have uh, Gabby, who is the cousin of Anna. Um, I'm assuming literal cousin, but perhaps there's a different meaning in Italian culture. Uh, I bring this up because Gabby is a whimsical young girl who is being very obviously groomed by both Marco and Anna um, together and separately. Assuming the translation in, is in order, this is clearly incest, but the screenplay draws no specific attention to it. Gabby is later revealed to be more self-aware than she appears at first, but she still has some like magic pixie dream girl vibes going on. Like there's a scene where she eats a flower. She is uh she is played by Iwa Allen, who was a popular it girl of the time from Switzerland. She plays a similar character in Death Smiles on a Murderer, a Joe D'Amato film from 1973. She left acting relatively quickly, and I suspect it was possibly because she was tired of being typecasted as a young girl being sexually groomed by society because her character in that film, which I have seen, is remarkably similar. Have you seen this actress in anything else? If I have, I didn't recognize her, but I totally could have. I can glance at her uh, IMDb quickly. She has a very distinctive chin. I saw The Legend of Blood Castle, but I don't remember her in it. I have not seen Microscopic Liquid Subway to Oblivion, but that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's probably a film about heroin. Apparently, she played a harassed woman on Monty Python's Flying Circus, so I probably saw her in that. Oh, she was in Candy. I think she was Candy in Candy. Yeah, I've seen Candy, but it's been a very long time. I don't, I don't remember it well. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, she, she seemed very much... Um, she seemed like an archetype. Again, her performance is fine, but she's not like a real person. I suppose none of these people act like real people, uh, but, but no. that's, uh, that's the point, right? Yeah, they're, they're just archetypes. Well, I mean, I would say they're probably also just disconnected from like common humanity. They're, they're kind of just doing their own thing. But back to the film. The family looks over photographs while uh, lounging around in the veranda, and, and Anna waxes philosophical about like the unchanging nature of photographs and seemingly regrets having to abandon her ideal feminine personality to become the big boss chicken matron. But while she's doing this, Marco scurries off with a photo of himself holding the wrench from earlier and locks himself in a billiards room. Anna knocks and tells him through the door that a man had come by earlier to see him. He acknowledges the message and tears up the picture in secret. We jump to night. Anna and Marco are in their bedroom preparing to turn in. Marco inquires about the visitor from earlier, but Anna claims she doesn't know anything about the man. Meanwhile, outside, a fancy car pulls up into the shadows. Anna brings up Gabby, remarking on her beauty and proceeds to objectify her in a manner that is familiar to anyone who's ever been targeted by unicorn hunters. Like, this is sexual, right? Or is my mind in the gutter? Between Anna and Gabby? Yes, like Anna constantly talking about wanting to dismantle her essentially yeah i didn't get the vibe as strongly as you're describing it i'm i might be 
I, I might be um, tainted from the first movie I saw this girl in, and maybe I just like sort of assumed the same thing was going on. But no, I just I did not get an incest vibe at all. I I just thought that I got almost like a motherly vibe where she was like nurturing her emergence into womanhood, sort of thing. Like maybe um maybe she was seeing her her lost and plundered youth in in Gabby and therefore like trying to cultivate it into something that wasn't discarded. Yeah, kind of something like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, I I can see that. Um, the the camera angles in in this scene are are very particular because they have uh, Anna's tight physique shown off and Marco's broad shoulders. The eroticism is pretty high considering this film has no nudity. Um, everything is just obscured by camera tricks as they undress, and that seems a little atypical of um, most Italian or or really any European fair we cover, where films don't hesitate to show everything. I'm not yeah, sure it's, if this it's, is... It's really bizarre. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is like for a TV edit or what, but it was interesting. Uh, they would show full frontal nudity on TV there. So here's the quote. I'd love to take her apart at certain moments, says Anna. Like when she's laughing, or when she's been drinking, or when she pretends she's serious and doesn't smile. I wish she'd always stay like that, never change. Marco responds, she is so young, she is still not aware of herself yet. To which Anna says, other people will soon make her aware of what she is. Not sure if the use of what instead of who is intentional here, but it really lays on the objectification that these two are, or at least Anna is trying to pull here. See, that's not how I read it at all. I thought Anna was lamenting the fact that she would be objectified and was kind of eager to protect her or wishing she could protect her, like keep her from entering adulthood. Hmm. That's the way I read it anyway. That's probably the right interpretation. Yeah, I guess my mind was in the gutter. Back outside, a man paces in the shadows before getting into the mystery car and driving off. The rev of the engine wakes Marco, who goes to check on Gabby, only to see she is missing from her bedroom. Worried, he begins to search the property, including the farm. And while standing amongst the chicken stockades, Marco may have heard Gabby, or perhaps his mind is playing tricks. Following the laughter amongst the clucks, he checks the genetics lab when the lights suddenly go out. While fumbling in the dark, he knocks over flasks, spilling a thick yellow substance onto the workspace. Inexplicably, Marco begins fondling the fluid, which, by the way, children at home, if it's wet and sticky and isn't yours, don't touch it, unless you can vet the source. Don't be that kid who trespassed onto a nuclear power plant's property to try to become the next Avenger, and then like walk away with leukemia and... I don't know, reduced functionality of your, of your fingers. Anyway, Marco tries to salvage the damage he caused and leaves just in time to see the car leaving his property. Marco wakes up the next morning and it's revealed they sleep in twin beds like in the 60s. Like, I, uh, what, the, what the fuck? I thought this was like a 40s white Anglo-Saxon Protestant thing. Uh, I 
I don't know. It didn't strike me that much. I, I just kind of accepted that they were not in a very close relationship. Hmm. Anyway, he finds Anna and Gabby working on invitations for a party. Gabby is having trouble concentrating, likely because she was out all night, but she lies and says that she had trouble sleeping. Marco revisits the lab and finds a scarf patterned with weird esoteric symbols. We are briefly introduced to the lab's technician, who actually has a name, Oberbach. Um, here's an important question. Is this supposed to be like a, like a Nazi scientist harbored by like the Italian captains of industry? Did you get those vibes? No. No, but, not at all? Hmm. No, but I, you know, if he had had an accent, which the dub did not have, that would have made me think of it. Hmm. He asks Marco how the factory is getting along without the workers, who replies that it's easy to just load the machines. The tech notes that laborers are redundant in a factory that's as well automated as this one. Meanwhile, Gabby and Anna are spending time poolside discussing how only couples were invited to the party. Anna attempts to hide her displeasure at Gapti's impromptu decision to invite an extra guest, the man who tried to visit Marco just yesterday, because Gabby thinks he's very amusing. Anna doesn't do a very good job from the audience's perspective at hiding her feelings, but, you know, Gabby seems oblivious. They visit the lab, where the tech mentions his shit was fucked with in the middle of the night, probably by Marco, maybe intentionally. He also brings up that some of the chemicals are radioactive, so definitely don't try to induce metahuman superpowers through toxic exposure. It doesn't work. He's probably already tried it, and now he's nearsighted. So there's a missing scene here from the international release, the one that I mentioned earlier, where Anna adds that she believes Marco's been acting strangely lately, like he's hiding something. And so her and Gabby strike an alliance to discover the secret. Um, and then, assumably, a mischievous course of action to follow once that secret is revealed. I think this scene was in my version. Was it? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Their planning is cut short when they realize the tech is listening in. Marco visits what I'm going to call the Italian poultry headquarters. It's um, a very large office. Non-functional egg furniture takes up valuable standing room. And there's an impromptu stock market where suits buy and sell everything chicken related using only a chalkboard. I'm not sure if this is a parody of delusions of grandeur or something like trying to emulate the stock market with just a simple setup. But anyway, the, the hallways are end capped with huge chicken murals. And there's even a grandiose painted portrait of a majestic rooster. Marco is here because he is being unwillingly volunteered to deal with the poultry industry's financial issues, despite having no qualifications to solve what is uh, determined to be the problem. Poor publicity. And thus he is forced into a partnership with an outside advertising talent to redesign public opinion about chickens. Luke, won't someone think of the chickens? This is what I thought was so funny. Like the, uh, the paintings and the advertisements of like, chickens looking like people oh from like a modern standpoint this would be a miserable failure of an advertising campaign but i can't imagine it would go over well then either 
No, I think it's supposed to be comedic. I don't think it's supposed to be like, uh, hmm. I don't think it's supposed to be realistic. So enter the peeping Tom from the hotel. This is our mystery man, Signor Mondaini. It's not obvious from the dub, but in the sub, you can really hear the power struggle between these two and their voice tones whenever they're in the same room. So now we start to have some differences between the sub and the dub. Marco has a clandestine meeting with Gabby in an outdoor cafe near the highway. And it's this really beautifully framed shot with our subjects like crowded between topiary in the foreground and diners in the background. And she shows up wearing another scarf that was identical to the one in the lab. There's an interesting translation difference here because the dub has Gabby remarking on how funny the other diners, the common folk, appear to her. And it seems harmless, but in the sub, uh, she says, these people are horrible, and then roasts a lady for wearing a ridiculous hat. So Gabby is definitely, you know, not much different from these two. She's just coming from a poor background and dealing with her, uh, with these new living circumstances the best way she can. Yeah, no, I, I, I put her on exactly the same uh, level as the others, like in terms of her personality and cavalier attitude and all of that. I think in the beginning you could maybe say, you know, she was just like a innocent drawn into the web, but not really after this and definitely not by the end of the film. Yeah. If that's what they want to communicate, then it does not do a good job because I, I don't get a lot of character evolution here at all. Marco confronts Gabby about her absence last night and the significance of the symbols on the scarf, but she deflects on both issues. The scene transitions to a drive on the highway, Marco riding shotgun. Their conversation reveals the true reason for the meeting. They are having an affair, and Gabby is afraid of Anna finding out. There's another discrepancy here that's worth pointing out. The dub seems normal enough. You hear dialogue, the roar of the engine. It's great. The sub has no audio for the car engine. And although it was probably just a production issue, my first impression was that it was possibly intentional because you know how when you're with someone special, the rest of the world just sort of melts away, becomes insignificant. I kind of got that vibe here, despite what they are actually talking about. And Marco is just so enamored and focused on Gabby that nothing else matters in this moment, which I, I don't know if it was like intentional or not, but I think it was probably just a decision made by a different like sound department. But the silence of the engine and the like serenity that's kind of caused from the scene makes what's about to happen even more sudden, more surprising. Gabby starts to reminisce about her family and then brings up why she's living at the farm in the first place. Her parents died in a car accident while on vacation, a vacation she declined to join. But this isn't just a simple revelation of survivor's guilt. It's played out like a daytime nightmare. There's a memory marked by screeching tires. Uh, there's a shot of a gray sedan overturned and engulfed in flames on a highway shoulder. The father lays motionless face down on the asphalt while the mother covered in blood without expression 
approaches the camera with arms at her side, palms facing outward. And all of this is combined with the film's signature jittery jump cuts that all together make this the most disturbing scene of the film that doesn't involve animal cruelty. Yeah, I thought this was the best scene in the movie. Yeah, this this is the this is the scene that really snapped my attention. And although nothing qu- quite meets this quality throughout the rest of the film, it is definitely very distinctive. It's very it's very out of place. So they park in the nearby wilderness to embrace in seclusion. They argue about why their relationship needs to stay a secret and share some, um, honestly, some pretty corny slice of life dialogue. But it's appropriate because on their walk through the woods, they suddenly end up in a cornfield and, and then transition to a meadow where they roll in the weeds and exchange sweet nothings. Marco reveals that he married into money. She holds, Anna holds all the money. And if Marco and Gabby were to be found out, or if they were to run away, they would have to abandon their life of luxury. This is where Gabby eats the flower like a pretty goat. They return to the city in part ways. Marco spots the mystery scarf inside a shop window and is disturbed, for next to it he sees the murdered prostitute standing in the shop. As she leaves, a flustered Marco tries to pursue but is unable to catch up through the crowded streets. He's interrupted by Mondaini, who insists that it's time to get to work. And this is where we're introduced to <laughs> an, a felt art portfolio full of humanized chickens. Uh, there's a doctor chicken, a business chicken, a soldier, a playboy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Portraying this- the chicken a- a- as an average man is... Uh, is about as obvious as this movie gets to criticizing like the capitalist system. Um, but yeah, like we discussed awful idea, animal rights have only gotten more popular since, uh, well ever. It just keeps going up in, in value and importance to society. It's just a huge disconnect. And, and, and I'm not immune to this either between eating meat and, and the violence that is necessary to, to cultivate it. And ads like this would likely be counterproductive to what the executives are trying to accomplish. That's why I just, they were so ridiculous and uh, the irony is so clear. I just thought it was a joke. I just thought they were supposed to make us laugh. I mean, it, it is funny. I did laugh during this film. I mean, I also felt, I felt a lot of things during this film. Like, uh, you know, uncomfortable was, was a feeling I got during the traffic accident. I mean, the the music is definitely off-putting. It's very bizarre. But I think it definitely puts you... Well, it puts normal people <laughs> in, in the right mindset for this film, which is uh, it's, it's just not very standard. Everything's unusual. So now it's the night of the party, and Mondaini convinces Anna to host a party game called Locked Up With A Partner. A room of truth is first established by having all your party guests... Move all the furniture from a single room. Whatever transpires between the couple who walk in will be for their knowledge alone. I don't know about you, but I would not trust a bunch of people to haphazardly move my shit. And this script doesn't help because everyone piles the room's contents into a 
a, a mound in the living room. It looks like a, a funeral pyre. Yeah, but and Marco didn't seem too happy about it either. No. I guess that's kind of like the reversal, right? Or maybe Marco's the one who actually holds uh, value towards property because, you know, he came from a background where you had to preserve your shit. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I just thought I just put myself in his shoes and like I have OCD. I, I can't. <laughs> I This scene was stressful. As the first couple um, enters the room, Gabby and Mondaini begin to speak privately, and it is revealed that these two didn't just recently meet. They've known each other for some time and are hatching a plan that is not revealed at this time. Anna and Marco meet up at a corner of the party. In the dub, she expresses her further distaste for Gabby's behavior. In the sub... Anna frustratingly tells Marco to go ahead and take Gabby into the room because his wife knows he wants her. Kind of strange how different those two parts are. Yeah, I, I in the version that I watched, I was confused as to why they ended up going into the room. Gabby's blue polka dot dress contrasts vividly in the blank white room. What was supposed to be a fun game is now turned into an interrogation. How long have you really known him? Marco asks. I only met him yesterday. Why don't you believe me? Marco knows something's up, but transitions into something he deems more important. He has figured out how they can both escape the situation and no longer worry about Anna. The lights go out as they embrace a breaker thrown by Mondaini. Gabby screams because she claims she's afraid of the dark, but likely just didn't want to be in a room with him anymore. And, and this kills the mood. Everyone leaves. And more importantly, uh, nobody moves the furniture back. Like, really? Nobody even offered. Marco, cock-blocked by something as mundane as the dark, is understandably frustrated and storms off. While cleaning up after the party, Anna finds an anonymous letter that reveals Marco has been seeing prostitutes in secret. She is understandably upset and is extremely jealous, lamenting, Honest women have got to dress as prostitutes and surprise their husbands in order to keep them. What good is a woman who can't hold on to her husband? Like, she is being way too hard on herself here. I don't know. I think I would be pretty devastated. Yeah, but she is holding herself to this like standard where she's like, uh, you know, I had to dress. I had to be more provocative in order to keep my husband's attention. It's like she's putting the blame on herself. Yeah, I would probably do it, too. Uh, maybe, maybe it's natural to do that. But, you know, she needs she she needs to understand that she needs to move on from Marco. No, I get it. I just I'm a very self-conscious and anxious person um and i also feel guilty very easily so i i would easily put like the blame on myself marco arrives at the highway hotel we see the behind the scenes process for how call girls are summoned by the front desk he then kills her admittedly mercifully compared to the first by quickly slitting her throat he smears blood on the mirror artistically. 
So no no spoilers, but this is when I realized what he was really doing. Oh really? Oh yeah. no, I I did not see it coming at all. This is where I figured out like what the what was happening in the movie. We're almost there. Morning comes and a rock is thrown through a window at the house. Elsewhere, Gabby steps out of the shower and starts to dry herself in front of an open window, looking down as if letting someone watch her. That was that in your version? Uh, if it was, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Anna and Marco are back at the factory, and they discuss contacting the police to get rid of the workers loitering outside. Suddenly, the family dog, who's been notably absent from the film till now, accidentally slides down a feeding chute into the grinder and is converted to feed for the chickens. Marco solemnly walks away, and we transition to the scene we discussed earlier that's cut from the international version, where apparently there are still some workers left on the staff to physically prepare the chickens for mechanical processing. We are... uh, this isn't the right word for it, but we are treated to an extended scene of how chickens were slaughtered for food in the late 60s. These are real chickens being mutilated by working women. Beaks cut off, beheaded, defeathered by a, a grinding wheel. It's very graphic. You see yeah, the chickens. Th- this scene was not in my version at all. You see chickens in the throes of death while hanging upside down from steel manacles. Marco is disgusted at the sight and leaves. This is a man who murders prostitutes, disturbed by the everyday process meat is prepared by. Anna and Gabby go on a sex worker safari. They drink at the hotel lounge while observing the call girls. After some close-up encounters, Anna decides that she's going to try cosplaying as a sex worker as a part of some convoluted scheme to catch her husband in the act. Mondaini observes from afar while Gabby not only condones this behavior, but practically goads her into going through with it. Marco meets with an office admin at Italian Poultry Headquarters. Uh, This is a strange scene. Uh, The office has a bizarre shelf with chickens placed in what looks like book sleeves with uh, openings for their heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine like reaching for a copy of like Encyclopedia Britannica and getting bit by a chicken. Well, that he says he got bit, right? Yeah, he got yeah. bit and he's bleeding on camera. <laughs> but uh, Marco requests a plane ticket for his wife to a business conference in Amsterdam. This comes back later. Back out on the city streets, he just happens to spy Gabby and Mondaini riding in a car together, furthering suspicion that something's going on behind his back. Back in his office, Marco sets fire to the plane ticket before getting a rushed phone call from his wife, telling him to come down to the factory immediately. Up to this point, what genre would you say describes this film? Giallo. Just giallo? Straight giallo? Yeah. Oh man, I feel like this the genre of this movie is buffet because it kind of like takes a little bit of everything. A little bit I mean, of horror, I think it's, a little bit of thriller. I think it's satirical. I think it's melodramatic. Hmm. But there are quite a bit, uh, quite a few like 
especially Italian and Spanish movies with sort of love triangle plots like this that also involve horror elements. So I kind of put it in that category. And now we enter science fiction. Marco finds Anna in the lab, and in front of them are mutant chickens that hatched from the most recent brood. They are pulsating lumps of meat and feathers. No heads, no wings, less bones. Possibly a result of Marco's earlier stumble through the lab. The lab tech arrives with his beady Nazi eyes lightening up with the glow of successful eugenics. The chickens have doubled in size since hatching without the need for feed. It is truly a Christmas miracle. I'm not quite sure how they achieved this effect on screen, but these uh, chickens are actually like moving feathered prosthetic monster blobs. Like when the tech picks one up, you can see its feet kicking around beneath his fingers. Yeah, like, I think it was just I think it was just like a a motor, like a motorized, you know, kicking thing with basically like latex inflated around it. Yeah, this is definitely not something I'm used to seeing in Italian films, like an effect like this. You know, normally your your special effects are zombie makeup and gore, but here we got, you know, giant chicken nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've seen anything that looks quite like this. <laughs> Where Anna and Professor Eugenics over here are slobbering over their abominations of science, Marco is notably disturbed and wants the brood destroyed immediately. Anna tells Marco he is a coward if he kills them. So, of course, as soon as, as soon as he's alone, Marco picks up a metal rod and just starts stabbing and smashing meat. Gabby is watching Anna complete her new persona. Black lingerie, red wig, the big green gumball earrings. She tells Gabby that she intentionally goaded Marco into killing the mutant chickens, so he will be disgraced from the chicken council. The Coupe de Gras will be catching him in the act of soliciting prostitution. So what did you think was going to happen at this point? Because I did not call this ending at all. Um, so I, I had figured out by now what Marco was really doing. And I figured one of them would die, but I wasn't sure who. Um, that's about all the sleuthing that I'd done. A brief scene. Night descends. Marco is at the grinder and uses a chisel to loosen the arm rails that surround it. Meanwhile, at the hotel front desk, Monsieur Mondini requests a call girl appointment. Anna accepts the appointment, believing Marco is the one who scheduled it. Although it's unclear whether it was just made in Marco's name, but, you know, just accept the, the setup for what it be. The next day, Marco is called into Chicken HQ, and the entire council rails on him for killing the mutant chickens. No one on the council concurs with the poultry side, and the chairman chastises further. Your ideas must not be allowed to stand in the way of the commercial development of the association. I, presumably... I, thought, I thought this scene was, was really funny. Like, just visually, 
it's like he's sitting b- before like a council or you know like the the royal assembly or something like i don't know it's just a very ridiculous image yeah i think there's a part in the script where they specifically mention that there's a chicken council these guys take their chicken very seriously i still can't get over that giant rooster portrait in the back like someone had to have painted that for this film right like they i would just, imagine so they could just find a giant rooster painting like that it looks like one of those um one of those uh portraits of like a general with like the posing in like the military wear outside like by their cavalry except this time it's just a giant rooster yeah i didn't mention it earlier but but my favorite of all the uh the chicken paintings is the one where there's like a mother chicken and she has her her wings out and she's like <laughs> protecting a family <laughs> yum yum <laughs> yeah she's oh. like she's like sheltering them frustrated marco calls the hotel to schedule his next victim strangely enough he requests to use the service elevator for a more discreet visit but first he stops at his office picking up the cursed briefcase and takes a break to listen to an audio recording of one of his appointments. Marco's secretary interrupts via intercom to remind him to pick up Anna for the airport, a trip that she has no idea she's going to take. He then stops at the factory to look for Anna. He believes he sees the bottoms of her shoes atop the grinder platform and goes to throw the activation switch. But either he was mistaken or he actually saw Gabby's shoes. But either way, by the time the machine turns on, Gabby is back on ground level and screams in fear at seeing Marco. Marco doesn't know it yet, but according to her secret plans with Mondaini, he's supposed to be at the hotel by now. Gabby is just like so nervous and terrified things will fall through that she can barely keep herself together. She flees further into the factory while Marco heads towards the hotel. As Marco rides the service elevator, we see Mondaini leaving the lobby with scratch marks on his cheek. He ducks into a bathroom to clean his wounds. He actually uses one of those tiny fountain sinks that that Udo Kier barfs in during Blood for Dracula. So that's what it is. It's a fountain. Yeah, at least that's how he's using it in this one. Marco briskly walks through the darkened hotel room straight to the bathroom. In the reflection of the vanity mirror, he sees a dead woman on the floor with her throat sliced. He rotates the body for the big reveal. His wife was murdered. The roaring sound of the grinder blocks out everything. Just who did he see in the farm, he wonders. He covers Anna's body with a blanket and empties his stomach into the sink. He immediately begins to clean the mess all the while thinking about his prostitute victims from the past couple days, but with slight changes to their demeanors as if they didn't mind being slaughtered. Outside, goon squad cars pull up to the entrance. Somebody called the police, saying that they received a call. A woman was murdered in room 724. A loitering call girl snickers and exclaims that all of them at some point have been killed in that room. She walks out of frame and the camera re- follows to reveal that well none of the prostitutes were murdered they're all loitering among the living it was all kink play 
Sure, it's weird, but he's a nice gentleman, they say. The officers decide to investigate regardless. I didn't see this coming at all. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I guessed it way early in the movie. Is is this a thing in other uh, Giallos? No, it was it was a combination of the fact that we had seen his face and knew who he was. And during, I think it's the second killing, where he's doing it really slowly and she's like not moving and then he like paints her blood on the, the wall or something. And the whole time I was like, this just like, it seems like a performance. It doesn't seem like she's actually when, when women are killed in Italian movies, it's like <laughs> brutal, brutal, like screaming, you know, boobs flying, blood flying the other direction. Like it, it, this is, this seemed very different to me. And so that was, and, and the that combined with the way he was so horrified by the sight of the um deformed chickens and like the death of the dog he just seemed like a much more sensitive person than who would be a murderer i thought that was just more of like commentary about how some people care more about animals getting hurt than other people see i really like the commentary that you saw in the film i'm not saying it's not there but it was not at the forefront of my mind almost remotely. I, I was trying to follow him as like, I was trying to get invested in him as a character. I mean, I also watched this film twice, I think almost three times while preparing for this. But the, the first time I noticed the, the, the anti-capitalist stuff, but it wasn't until the second watch that it like really hit home how prevalent it is in a lot of scenes so you're gonna have to suspend some disbelief here because I, I doubt any hotel room in the world has the cleaning supplies necessary to remove fresh blood from carpet um pro tip use peroxide before applying any other moisture wasn't that's, her that's wasn't her body in the bathroom like on the tile no, it was in the bedroom. It was in the, the main room in front of the bed. There's actually a scene of him scrubbing the carpet with uh, you know red liquid coming out of it. Okay, I misinterpreted. I thought I was in the bathroom, but I, I was wrong. Conveniently, Marco takes the service elevator with Anna in tow after he's finished cleaning up. The investigators see no evidence of a crime, but still wish to make contact with this man. Probably just to scare him straight or shake him down for money. I, I don't know how Italian law enforcement works. The way the like the law the law enforcement in this movie I thought was really funny too. They walk around like like all of the agent Smiths in the Matrix. <laughs> like they're all wearing an identical dark suit and like marching in step like clones of one another i don't know it's a very funny image to me i don't know but now i just imagine like every italian police officer is just like impeccably dressed at all times in, in contrast to like american police officers where they're covered in you know uh paramilitary material and <laughs> weaponry anti-personnel equipment they do like movies italian movies i've seen where police officers are like main characters you really never see them in uniform you always see them like in suits 
but it may be the difference between like a detective or like an investigator and, and an actual officer. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, investigators typically wear the suits because they're mostly in the office and conducting interviews. But like, you don't have like five investigators pull up to a scene. Like, no one needs that much interrogating. That's why it looks so funny to me. And they also all have like the same identical black unmarked car. Right. It's totally the Matrix. <laughs> that's the real twist of this movie. God, yeah, if, that, if that's true, there's a big glitch here. Nothing's working out like it's supposed to. Or maybe it's so weird because the robots just don't understand why people can't fall asleep to crazy piano jargle. Hey, it's like this is mechanized farming and mechanized law enforcement. Back at the house, Mondini and Gabby are in the living room discussing their post-framing debrief, assuming everything went according to plan. Mondini works out Marco's unusual behavior, correctly deducing that he was already planning to kill Anna himself, and that it would have been much easier to just not get involved at all. But in his defense, I don't think you could have made that assumption. Gabby gets excited at the prospect of collecting inheritance, declaring that She'll no longer be the poor girl who has to sleep around to get by. Dub has slightly different dialogue, but it's the same shtick. While Mondini brags about his grand plans for the poultry factory, which basically boils down to buy better machines, <laughs> uh, Gabby asks if Anna screened before she died and is filled with joy when he answers yes. Then they hear a car pull up outside. It's Marco walking his wife between shots of chickens doomed to live in cages until they can no longer live eggs. I thought it was, I thought it was really funny that when Gabby and her, her Mondini. lover were like, um, she, she, he was saying, he was saying all his plans for the factory. And then he basically says like, and you'll take care of the house. It was very patronizing. <laughs> he is very patronizing. Yeah, I really don't feel like we get to know him as a character, but like that seems to be his role. Yeah, who knows what happens in those 20 minutes, right? Right, yeah. He turns on the grinder and places Anna on the platform, noticing for the first time that she died clutching a piece of jewelry, a silver bracelet that it is revealed was worn by Mondini during the awful chicken advertising proposal. Marco pictures the murder in his imagination, realizing Gabby was certainly involved. He loses his footing, likely from lost concentration upon this horrible realization, and barrels over the railing he loosened the night before. His body is grinded off screen and processed into chicken feed. Have you ever considered if you consumed an animal that ate a person? No. No, never? I, had to I, think about I think it, I but... first had that thought after I read The Jungle. Uh, that is a, a good uh, book to prompt that thought, but no, I don't think I've ever wondered that. I mean, it's, it's probably not likely with chickens, but uh, it feels like it could happen with fish, right? Like, I haven't dined out in a while because of COVID, but could Red Lobster have a special bottom feeders menu for, for those who want that special Lost at Sea seasoning? You sure. don't know what those lobsters have been eating. 
No. Gabby and Mondaini enter the farm and find Anna laid out at the lip of the grinder. While the couple are bewildered from her unexplained appearance, the police show up, immediately implicating them of murder. The story comes to a close as the police fruitlessly search for Marco, unaware that he is being slowly devoured by the chickens. A modern day fairy tale, the subjugated working class eating the rich. And we have reached the end of Death Laid an Egg. And so now we'll just get started with reviews, followed by a review score out of four stars. Luke, would you start us off? Yeah, I, I did not love this movie. I, I actually was was bored most of it. It has some giallo and Italian movie vibes that I do like. I like the score a lot. I like some of the imagery a lot. I couldn't get in interested in the characters. They all seem inauthentic. Like they all seem like in inauthentic archetypes. There, there is one scene where Anna and Gabby are talking, and Anna says that she and Marco have always worn masks with each other, and and then she gleefully says like, "Now he'll finally see my face." Um, when she's talking about getting her revenge. And and that's how I read their characters throughout the whole thing, is like, we couldn't really see or understand their motivations, um, which makes sense. In, you know, they write it into the screenplay, but it made it really hard for me to get involved in the movie. There is, like, a lot of satire and either mocking capitalism or mocking just the capitalists um but it's so obvious and i don't it was too obvious for me to think it was clever but it did make me laugh at points uh so anyway i i i liked watching this okay i'll probably never watch it again there are many more italian movies that i would that i prefer to this actually i'm going to recommend one called well the, in america it was released as autopsy but the um, the real title was Tarot, and it has a very similar setup to this with like a love triangle where it's a younger woman and uh, one older man and then another younger man. And it, it's got a very similar dynamic to this movie. And, and I, I enjoy that one um, much more because the there's a lot more like melodrama with the characters, which is what I wanted from this movie. But anyway, solely based on like the visuals and the musical score, um, I'm gonna go with two and a half. Man, like your review sounded so like depressing, but then you're like, yeah, you know, above average. Uh, two and a half. Oh, all right. I think that's fair. Oh, well, for a second there, I was thinking I got revenge for you making me watch The Child, but. You didn't hate that, hate this as much as I hated watching The Child. So I, I got to try no, again. No, I didn't hate it. I just, um, I just had trouble getting engaged in it. The ambiance of this film is unlike anything I've ever seen from Italian cinema. And that might be because I am just not as familiar with it as Luke B. But for me, this film like transcends genres, probably because it just 
fucking can't pick one, right? Like there's sci-fi, there's murder mystery, there's social commentary, and it's even a horror film at some points. If, if this film had to fill out a census, it would be checking every box marked other. The music, narrative, and, and character relationships are all disjointed. And they it does feel unnatural, but it all cleanly fits together to me. And, and this is with 20 minutes cut that, again, uh, supposedly made the film even more bizarre than this finished product. Even if you know the plot and the twists, this film's particular style is so distinctive, at least it is to me, that it, I think it's worth watching just to experience the entire composition of directing, editing, and score choices because they're just so unusual. It's, it's sincerely difficult for me to describe with words the atmosphere this film has when you're watching it especially if you're going in blind like i originally just watched this after i saw the title i wasn't expecting any of this that said you know avant-garde is not for everyone and this film does have some slight pacing issues and i really hope one day this film gets the original cut released because if if this is the watered down version like what on earth was deemed too strange for public exposure and generally i think this is probably a three and a half star film for but this is a four star in my heart i really like this film i'm probably not going to watch it again anytime soon but i really enjoyed it i'm really shocked that you like it that much really yeah yeah, I don't know. This this film just hit some some notes for me, I guess. Like the bizarre setting, like a, a chicken factory. Yeah, I just think it's boring. The aesthetics? I think it's boring and it, it took me forever to like get clear on what was going on. I don't know. I wasn't bored. Hmm. Oh, uh, I mean, I could be the demented one here. It could be it could be that what I like most in these kinds of movies is well it like beautiful imagery, which this movie kind of has, but it doesn't have the like over the top vibrant colors of like an Argento movie. So it everything seems kind of muted to me. Um I love the music ordinarily. And that I love it in this movie, but it, it doesn't necessarily vibe with the movie to me. And, and that may be because I like to listen to this kind of mu music ordinarily. Um, and then the other thing I'm looking for is like the melodrama of it, like the ridiculous over the top characterizations with um, especially like evil maternal figures uh, or like corrupt uh sexual perversion like those sort of twisted um characters and we really like the characters in this movie are barely characters like they're they don't have discernible motivations and they don't their their acting is is pretty muted are you sure you weren't um influenced by the dub quality because the Italian uh, 
audio is much more energetic. I mean, maybe I, I t- like I said, I typically prefer dubs in these movies um, because they add to the sort of surreal quality to me. And often they make it more ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the, the dub didn't stand out to me. If I do watch this movie again, maybe I'll watch a subtitled version. Yeah, at the very least, you get to see some chicken slaughtered. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know that I missed that. <laughs> and that's gonna do it for this episode of Video Store Nightmares for Death Laid an Egg. Did you like listening to this? Did you like having the host switched up for a change? Um, if you do, please let us know, and I can certainly bring more bizarre things to the table. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. So next week, we are going to be starting our... Hmm, our what do we call it? Our Halloween... Well, well yesterday was the first day of fall. So I think we're just entering into the spooky season. Spooky season. Okay. Yeah. So next week, we'll be starting our descent into spooky season, starting with The Being from 1981, directed by Jackie Kong. Luke, do you have any comments on The Being? What should we be prepared for? So this is the less famous film directed by Jackie Kong, the more famous one being Blood Diner. And this is probably not a good movie. Um, I I know that there's actually a lot of hate for it, Um, but uh, this is a very special movie to me. I'll tell the story about how I first encountered this movie next week, but um, this is something that uh, I watch every Halloween. Um, It's a movie that I can just put on in the background if I want to like zone out or fall asleep. Um, So I'm actually really excited to talk about this. And it is available on YouTube as of this broadcast. Yeah, I think it's on uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime as well or Shudder. Uh, this is a very easy movie to get. It has a DVD release. The VHS is relatively cheap. All right, Luke, do you have any final words? No, just check out The Being and join us next week. Thank you all for your continued support. Have a good night.